Welcome to SolkanaCast, two broads talking broadly about health, the physical, the emotional, the nitty-gritty, and the fun. Real thoughts on real health. The information provided within this podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, professional diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services to you or any other individual and is intended for general information for educational purposes only. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Sulconicast, Fats and Fascia. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm your host, Hannah Whitevin, and with me, as always, is the blonde-haired goddess, Lucia Holly. <laughs> That's me, Lucia Holly. I'm here. Yay! We're both here. You may know us from previous episodes of the show that you're listening to right now. Yeah, you're catching up on all the goodies. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, this episode's going to be great. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode where we interviewed our friend Sam Lazan, then this week's episode will be a way to dive a little bit deeper into some of the things he was talking about in the fascia segment of the show. Exactly. And even a little bit about what we were talking about very briefly about kind of full body systemic inflammation yeah. with Sam. We'll be diving into that too. Are you telling me it's all connected? Uh, Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Lucia, how was your week? My week was very good. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you get to know. It was great. It Bye. was great. Bye. <laughs> um, my week was super fun because I was able to start coming back to working out. Hey-o. Yeah, I was not feeling so great last week, so I took a rest week, which was very needed. It was appropriate. Um, but I was soups sad while I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So workouts have been feeling really good. Good. Yeah. Things are coming together in my house. Yes. Yeah. Things are good. Peachy. I've, rec- I've recruited my parents to come over this weekend to help me with some house things because I'm getting to the point where I'm like, if I don't, if it's in a box right now and it's been in the box for two weeks, maybe I don't even need it. Oh, that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just like wanting to throw everything away, but I think that. Having two other people there to help me unpack and look through everything because I think it'll help. I think willing unpackers are very special creatures, and so you should take advantage. Yeah, I think so. And my and my dad loves to refinish furniture. Oh, good. So out. he's gonna help me with a couple of pieces this weekend. I'm super super excited. Yeah, I'd be amped about that. Yeah, I'm like I'm kind of a collector of mid-century modern pieces, so <laughs> I have some furniture that needs to be. Redone. Restored. Yes. Mm, yes. Exactly. <laughs> cool. So let's uh, let's talk about our challenge last week. Yeah. Uh, Sam gave us the challenge to uh, Netflix and chill. <laughs> our- basically find a time to hang out, distract ourselves, and do some soft tissue work. Our version of Netflix yeah. and chill. Yeah. Yeah. Drink water. Yeah. Hydrate. Uh, and do soft tissue work and when you watch Netflix. And that meaning roll out your muscles on like a foam roller or like a lacrosse ball or yeah. something that's helping to break up some fascia, which we'll talk more about soon. So did you do it? Uh, yes. I think I should get a gold star for this week. Tell me why. Uh, because I was doing that. I have a lacrosse ball. I would heat my body up. So I'd go for a walk, like walk my dog or mow the lawn. And then I'd roll out instead of just being like, oh, I'm sitting at my computer. Nice. I better go sit and watch some TV and do this. Uh, but I also bought this thing called the Fascia Blaster. 
I have heard of the fascia blaster. Oh my god! So I it's fascia like blasted. A, it's like the stick. Yeah, it's like the stick. That, the stick is also a branded thing that right. you use. Right. Essentially, both of these things are um, they're like sticks with beads on them, and you use them to roll across your muscles. Mine has like they're they're almost like little octopi. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, is that cool? It's cool. Sure, <laughs> it's fine. You got it. It's great. Uh, but it really, it felt um, pretty awful in a good way. So I feel like that means that it's working. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I just got it yesterday, and I'm very excited to continue with it. Good. I'm glad. How was your challenge? I uh, always watch The Bachelorette on Tuesday nights. It comes out on Monday nights, but I watch it on Tuesday nights. Uh-huh. And so this past week, instead of just sitting on my couch and watching it, I stretched. Cool. And I did some self-massage on my quads because they've been really tight because I've been running a lot and I don't like running. Mm. It's not, I'm not the biggest fan. Well, and you're training. Yeah. So I have to do it. <laughs> I have to run. You want to tell people what you're training for? I'm doing the Ragnar. I don't know why, but I'm doing it. Yeah. I agreed to do it. So I'm doing it. Good. Uh, so yeah, I've been running a lot. I went from running zero miles a week to running 21 miles a week. So it's probably not, I, I wouldn't recommend that <laughs> to the average person. It's been okay. It's okay. It's just like mentally not, it, it, I need to play games with myself when I'm running. Like, oh, get to that thing and then you can walk five steps. Or right. Like, you know, so yeah. You, I did get a runner's high though the other day. Oh man. Tell me about that. I, after I ran seven and a half miles. After like five and a half, six miles, I couldn't feel the lower part of my body anymore. <laughs> and I was just like, this is great. I should just keep going. Oh. But I didn't, which I was glad. Yeah. I finished my run. I walked home. And then I was so tired. Yeah. But I did experience it for a minute. Like for a moment, I liked running. For a mile and a half, I really liked it. Had you experienced that before? No. At any point? There's no point in my life which I've run far enough <laughs> to ever experience a runner's high. I wonder what the race is going to be like. Will it be multiple runner highs? Because you're you're going, you don't go for one long stretch. No, you're breaking you do it up. Three, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, three, like six miles, five and a half, and five. Okay. That's what I'm doing. Okay. I'm not, I feel like you're going to experience more of like this weird sensation because you don't sleep on the Ragnar. <laughs> like you are just in a van for, for two days. So. Sleep deprivation. Yeah. yeah. So more like torture. Okay. So torture euphoria? Is that a thing? Sure. Let's Google it. <laughs> okay, well, tell me about fats. Time to talk about fats. Oh, fats. This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. It's something that we talk about in the Essential You class, which is my group nutrition class. So anyone who hasn't taken that and you're listening to this episode. You should really sign up. You could totally sign up, but also know that this is some of the really good juicy information that we talk about in class all together. So we talked a little bit about fats um, during the week when I was talking about macronutrients, right? So fat is one of the three macronutrients. We have protein, carbs, and dietary fats. Of dietary fats, we basically have three different types. We have saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated. Hannah, do you know of different types of fats and oils that are either saturated, monounsaturated, or polyunsaturated? Can you make uh, some guesses? 
Which, okay, so historically, saturated fat has been, like, demonized. It's yeah. really bad. So what's the fat that people say that you shouldn't eat? Like butter? Com- yeah. Totally. Butter is a saturated fat. Good work. Um, Oil? Coconut oil? Coconut oil. Yep. Totally. Olive oil? Olive oil is going to be a little bit more of that monounsaturated. Okay. Yep. Um, Dairy fat? Like, Yogurt? Sure, dairy fat has some saturated fat and a little bit. So fats, I should say, when you're finding fat in a food, like let's say yogurt or cheese, it's never going to, very rarely is it going to be all of one certain type of fat. But just like we talk about macronutrients in different food, chicken breast is mostly protein. There's a tiny bit of carb, tiny bit of fat in it. Oh, so like red meat fats? Yeah, so red meat fats are going to be... Avocado maybe? Yeah, so there's going to be primarily one type of fat. But then there can be others in there as well. Okay. So we have different mixes, but good work. So yeah, butter is a saturated fat. Coconut oil also a saturated fat. Tallow, bacon fat, oh, other yeah. other animal Those fats. Are the kinds I like. It, what's really cool about a saturated fat is that you can visually tell if something is a saturated fat if it can pretty much stay um, hard or it won't melt at room temperature. So like butter, oh. coconut oil is kind of right on the line. It can right. melt. Well, it at depends a, what your what your room is temperatured at. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Something like bacon fat, it gets hard. Right. It might be a little bit soft at room temperature, but it's not going to completely liquefy. Right. And then if you go down the line, then the next is going to be monounsaturated, which is going to be like olive oil, like you mentioned. Um, avocado oil is another monounsaturated. Sesame oil. Sesame oil is actually going to be the next. Sesame, sesame okay. oil is going to be a polyunsaturated. Okay. So, is that because it's more processed? Or is that is that how they work down the line? Or? I will tell you all about it. Yay! <laughs> so, a monounsaturated, let's go back. So, an olive oil. If you were to put, let's say you made a dressing with olive oil, and you put that in the fridge because you made too much. If you put that in the fridge, and then you pulled it out a few hours later, it would actually be a little bit hardened. Right. It would the, if you brought it back out to room temperature, that olive oil will quickly melt again and become liquid. But that's another way that you can tell that it isn't a polyunsaturated because oh, okay. it will harden at a cooler temperature. Yeah. Versus something like a polyunsaturated, like flaxseed oil, right? Um, sesame oil, toasted sesame oil. Those are all going to pretty much stay liquid in the fridge, and at room temperature. So, cool thing about fats is you can tell what's going on with the eyeball. Okay, so what do these names mean? When we say saturated, polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, no one really knows, right? Right. Like, you know I the mean, term. I mean, guess, yeah. But, yeah. What, what would your guess be? Uh, I feel like if we're talking about, well, poly and mono is like more, more than one-on-one. Yep. But saturated and unsaturated, I feel like that would basically mean l- amount of water. Oh, okay. Is that wrong? That's a good guess. (laughs) Let me tell you what's up with that. So if we're looking at the kind of molecular structure of these fats, if we look at a saturated fat, we have links of carbon uh, molecules. Okay. So every carbon molecule on a saturated fat is going to have a hydrogen attached. Uh So the carbon molecules are saturated with hydrogen. There's no gap or space or double bond or anything where another molecule could attach itself. Okay. It's all filled up. 
So that's our saturated fat, carbon, hydrogen, cool. Next, if we go to a, uh, to a monounsaturated, it's gonna be the same molecule, except one of the, so all the carbons are linked up to each other, and then we have the hydrogens kind of attaching to each carbon as we go along. So in the monounsaturated, one of those carbons, they have a double bond together, so there's basically an opening right there. Hence the mono, mono meaning one, there's one opening. Right. So when you look at that, if you were to look up what that molecule looked like, that a saturated molecule, it would be kind of like a straight line versus a monounsaturated molecule, there's gonna be kind of like one like kink in the line uh -huh. because there's that opening there. If you go to the next, the polyunsaturated, poly means two or more or many, so there's going to be multiple kinks and openings in that okay. molecule. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. So what that means for us when we're looking at these fats and we're looking at how we want to treat them and which ones we want to come into our bodies, saturated fats, because they are saturated and they don't have any of these openings or kinks or double bonds, they're very hardy. Okay. They're very strong. Sure. They're not going to go rancid easily because if something's going rancid and it's becoming oxidized, if we look at that structure again, we're seeing that oxygen can attach in an area where it can attach, like a kink or a double bond right. where there's that opening. Saturated fat, that's not really going to happen. You would have to really work really, really hard to make that happen, which means you would have to heat that saturated fat to a very, very, very high heat. Okay. So real world versus science, what that means is when we're cooking, we want to be cooking with saturated fats because right. they can take the heat. Right, right. If we were to cook with a monounsaturated or a polyunsaturated fat, they're much more fragile than saturated fats. That Just, makes sense to me. Yeah, very straightforward. So we don't need to beat up butter. We don't need to beat up bacon fat. They have their place. The human body knows what to do with a saturated fat. We just want to treat them properly. So those are fats that we can totally eat them without heating them up. But if we want to do cooking, if we want to fry, if we want to roast or saute at high temperatures, those are the fats that we need to be choosing okay. to cook our foods in. So if you're going to fry a delicious mm, paleo stir fry. Gross. <laughs> Donut. If you're going to fry a donut, Yay! you want to fry it in tallow, in coconut oil, any of those saturated fats. Make sense? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So what happens in our culture is that we've had this, we've had kind of a industrial revolution. Well, not kind of. Kind it, it, to it, it, it totally yeah. happened. It, happened. I mean, it, it changed a lot of There's things. There's books about it. There are many books. It definitely happened. Yeah. And it's, it's history. So... <laughs> The Industrial Revolution, we could get into the nitty-gritty of that as well. But for the most part, what happened is that we started to have commodity crops, soy, corn, right? Yeah. With those commodity crops, people in big-up companies had to figure out what to do with leftover amounts of corn right. and soy. Mm -hmm. One thing that you can do now that you have industry and you have high-tech machines is that you can process leftover soy and corn and pull out oil from it if you if you as a human if you grabbed a kernel of corn or a soybean and you squeezed it do you think you would feel any fat no good you wouldn't no <laughs> no 
if you squeeze something like an olive or a piece of fresh coconut meat, would you think you yeah. feel fat? Pretty juicy. Pretty juicy. Pretty fatty. Okay, just keep that in mind. Okay. So, because big industry had lots of corn and lots of soy, they needed or wanted to process it. Therefore, they made campaigns talking about how, okay, you should use corn oil, you should use soy oil, you should use vegetable oil. Wait, canola? Is that the same thing? Canola. So, canola is actually a marketing term. It's not a real plant. Right. Is it just like a combination of those two or just whatever is sort of left over? Because it's, isn't canola oil this, like, synonymous with vegetable oil or is are they two yes. different things? Yep. No. Canola oil is a huge oil. It's, it's used everywhere. It's very cheap and readily accessible. Yeah. So canola stands for Canadian oil. <laughs> it's actually the rapeseed. Oh. You, you don't want that to get popular, right? That term? No. No. So they shifted it over to Canadian oil, a.k.a. canola oil. Interesting. So I have, uh, like, I have a pack of oils that I use for, um, that are, like, purified oils that I use for skin stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a rapeseed oil. Mm-hmm. Is there any, like, like that oil, I should not, I, I mean, I have it. I've never used it. It's a small container. I've never used it because I'm not sure, like, how it would react on the skin but so that sounds like it's not a great one so with something like a rapeseed rapeseed oil which has been historically used in other countries so it's not completely foreign but what we're really starting to parcel out is where we're getting fats from what the source is and then what type of fat that is so is it saturated monounsaturated or polyunsaturated and then how has that fat been treated Right, right so we start to look at quality, especially when we're talking about polyunsaturated fats. Because if we go back to the molecular structure, a polyunsaturated fat is going to have more kinks in it. Right. Therefore, it's going to be that much more fragile. Therefore, it's not the oil that you should be ex- exposing to heat or a bunch of light. Okay. Because it'll become oxidized. Right. And if it oxidizes, then it's rancid. And then your body is basically going to give your body inflammation. Okay. And we're always trying to seek out ways to lower inflammation because our modern conventional American diet is very high, highly inflammatory. So something like a rapeseed oil or a canola oil, vegetable oil, are those pretty innocuous at room temperature if they're treated well? Or are they still like when they come to you, they're already rancid Great, anyway. great question. Because of industry and how they've been processed and how they're processed in a way to make it really, really cheap to continue to process them, they are already rancid by the time they've been bottled, let alone by the time they get to you. So when they're being processed, they're being processed at extremely high temperatures, very high heat, very high pressure, because how you're getting that heat is with extreme pressure. And once those have, once you've pulled out however much oil you can get out of soy or corn or rapeseed, which isn't very much. Right, you need a lot of those things. That's not something you could really do at home. Right. <laughs> no. It, I mean, it you isn't. You wouldn't get much. You really wouldn't. So those are, that's already a lot of processing going on. But once that's happened, then you're dealing with a rancid oil. Right. So the industry is going to say, hey, nope, we got to, we still need to market this. So then they're going to bleach. And they're going to deodorize those oils to put them, to be able to put them into bottles, cap them, and sell them to us to eat. Uh, 
It makes you feel like a pawn. Yeah. Oh my god. The other day, a friend of mine went over to. Uh, I'm just gonna say it. They went to Caffrey's uh-huh. sandwich shop. Sure. And she came back and she had a brownie that they had made, and she was like, "Do you want a bite of my brownie?" I was like, sure. So I took a little bite of her brownie, and I was like, what? What is that smell? Oh, no. Like, as I ate the bite, when I was breathing out, it smelled like fish. Like, dead fish. And I was like, hey, I think that this oil has gone bad. Like, it it was a... I think they use, like, a some sort of mix to put in vegetable oil or something. Yep. And it smelled like... And tasted like fish oil. Like Which, the kind that you buy and don't drink. <laughs> and you don't want to, you would, you know, something like a fish oil is one of those polyunsaturated. Yeah. You're taking the fish oil because it has omega 3 and omega 6 essential fatty acids, which are found in polyunsaturated fats and oils. So those are the most fragile, which right. you would never want to heat up. So the fact that whatever oil was in that, of course, it was not a fish oil, but likely, no, yeah. likely there was some sort of polyunsaturated fat because those are very cheap to purchase, especially for restaurants. I know. And in a, like a greasy sandwich shop, that's like, probably what they're using every day. Most restaurants are going to be using, you know, it, it, it will vary by the restaurant yeah. and you can and always think of... Sometimes like the higher quality of the restaurant, like the more expensive the food the more likely they are to use, like, real fats. Right, and real unprocessed, right. kind of untampered with fats. Right. So butter, um, animal fats, like that tallow and lard for a lot of the cooking. Right. Some of them will even sell, like, some restaurants sell tallow fries. Yes. Or, which, like, duck fat fries. Which tastes really good. Tastes so good. Because the fat isn't rancid, because yeah. it can tolerate that high heat. Right. But that is one point I want to make. So when you're purchasing these oils like the vegetable, corn, soy, all that jazz, or restaurants are using them, if you look at the bottle, most of the time it's going to say, great for high heat cooking, you know, doesn't, has this high smoke point. Oh, I see. The problem is, it's because they have already been so processed, they're already rancid. They've already taken care of that smoke point issue. How can they, like, how can they legally sell that? I mean, isn't it, I mean, something being called rancid to me sounds rotten. Yes. Sounds like it's like vegetables and fruit. They have to work super hard to make it look unblemished because if it's, you know, if it comes to the store and it's even mildly past its ripening point, then they can't sell it. People won't want to buy it. Yeah. People won't want to buy it. But like, I also think legally they can't sell it. Right. So why is it that the oil industry has been able to kind of get away with that because you can't process a fresh apple with a bruise on it but you could process corn oil until no one ever knew that it at one point smelled really bad and looked really brown no yes it's pretty nuts it looks like burnt oil basically sure yeah because really if it's processed at such a high heat so Oh, man. This topic, gets it gets me because it's really yeah. sad. And if you go, I was at Target yesterday, and I was walking down the aisles, and I stopped at the mayo section because they have, like, 20 different varieties of mayonnaise. Yep. And I turned around. I spent the time. I turned around every single one. Every single one except for one brand, which I'll talk about in a second. They all had soybean oil yeah. as the main oil. Oh, my gosh. Even. That e- is every salad dressing, every, like, 
since you had me start eliminating soy oil, uh, soybean oil, soy lectin, all that, it's like really impossible to buy any sort of sauce. Because it's very cheap. Right. for manufacturers to use right. and it does not have much of a taste because right. it's been rendered tasteless by these different processing methods. Yeah. So every single mayo there that anyone would buy, even the, the mayos available on the shelf, they range from being natural to be made with olive oil and green and organic and then just like super basic normal Hellman's mayo and Miracle Whip just you know running the gamut of the spectrum of the different mayos that you can buy they all had soybean oil Uh. and the one the one that didn't had canola oil it's so easy (laughs) to make your own mayo it's very easy I hope people know this just put an egg one egg half a cup of whichever oil you want I use olive oil and I use first press, cold press olive oil. Yep. Uh, half a cup of that. And then use like an immersion blender, hand blender. Put it in the bottom of the cup and then hold it for 20 seconds there. And then just slowly work your way up and you've made mayo. Yeah. It doesn't last as long. But that's appropriate but, because right. it isn't. It's how. Yeah. You don't want it to last forever. It's an egg and oil. It should be like it should expire as soon as an egg in the fridge would expire. Right. So, you know, use it temporarily. It only makes a little bit. You have about 10 days to use a batch, typically. Yeah. A mayo. You're only making half a cup of oil and one egg. I will say, though, if you want to, this is where you can get a little crazy. I think it's crazy. (laughs) You could make cultured mayonnaise. Oh, what? And then it has a longer shelf life. How? You add in some whey, which is that liquid, that kind of... Um, you can draw from yogurt. If you strain yogurt, then what drips below is whey. Or just what's on top when you open it. Yep, what's okay. on top. So you can basically inoculate your batch of homemade mayo with whey, let it sit out for a few hours and develop that bacteria, and then you have cultured mayonnaise that'll last longer. Interesting. And it's probiotic. So would you put that in before you whipped it? Yeah. Okay, so yep. you'd put in the oil and the egg yep. and, and the whey and just let it kind of simmer? Yep. Um, would you only choose yogurt that is live cultures yogurt or would any yogurt work? Um, pretty much any yogurt that's coming from a brand that is saying whole milk and uh, no sugar added, ideally grass fed, organic, all that jazz. So yeah. it's really high quality. Yeah. You can get whey from any of that stuff. The okay. only the only type of yogurt you can't get whey from, obviously don't get it from some sweetened yogurt because that's going to be gross. Yeah, that'd be tasty. But not, not tasty. Greek yogurt is already strained yogurt. Oh, so you that's can't, why it's so thick. That's why it's so thick okay. because all the whey has been taken out. So you just want a kind of a more um, typical American style yogurt yeah. that you can strain. Okay. Anyway. And homemade mayo, that's a great way to get to add some fats into your food if for if you're going to make like a spicy sauce or like you can add once you've made the mayo you can add whatever you want to it you could turn it into aioli by adding garlic yep. you could add oh, fresh herbs lemon. yeah it tastes super good parmesan nice to, to uh, add some fat to your macros yes make your food a little bit tastier totally fat is flavor and our yeah. bodies need fat we can't have a low fat diet and expect to feel great for too long <sighs> but one other thing I want to talk about fats before we go into fascia is that we've been talking about, okay, yeah, choose olive oil or choose butter, choose coconut oil. I want to, where I had you kind of imagine that you were like squeezing an olive to get some of the fat out of that. Yeah. 
I want you, I want you and everyone else to keep that imagery in mind when you're choosing to eat liquid fats and oils. Okay. You know, you're buying like a bottle of oil or something versus like eating a whole avocado. Um, when those oils are being processed, the reason we're choosing something like an extra virgin cold press, first press olive oil versus just any other olive oil is because we're choosing the processing method that it went through. Right. Because you can buy a really poor quality olive oil. Yes, it can you be can. it can be just as chemically extracted and manipulated and bleached and deodorized. It can go through that process. But if it's going through that process, then it won't have the labels extra virgin. Right. It won't say first press, it won't say cold press. Yeah. So extra virgin and cold press, what those mean is that the way it was processed, it was likely processed by pressure. So squeezing down on those olives how and letting imagine how you would imagine getting oil from anything. But it will not be a pressure that will heat up that oil and basically like olive mash. It won't heat it above 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. So it's a very low, basically cold temperature. It's it's not high heat. Right. Because it's not, a, it's not boiling it. No, because you you can make a machine strong enough, and there are plenty of them, and that's how these other oils are being made, where you're pressing at such high heats that it's going over 200 degrees, over 300 degrees. But it's like liquefying the thing itself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So when you're looking at fats and oils, I would say get rid of seed and grain oils. Mm-hmm. Any, type of, any type of oil that's saying vegetable oil, is it really a vegetable? No, you're not squeezing a carrot. You're usually squeezing a seed or a grain. Right. So no corn oil, no soybean oil, grapeseed oil, not so much. Any of those, just say no, okay? Right. For something like a olive oil, um, even something like a sunflower oil or a flaxseed oil, these are oils that we want because they have those omega-3s, omega-6s, which I'll talk about in a different Saf- episode. Safflower? Safflower kind of walks the line, but okay. can be appropriate. Those are where you have to get choosy about quality. So look right. at the label. See if it says refined. See if it says unrefined. Okay. See if it says cold press. I will say, you can find a cold press, first press, uh olive oil at cub or rainbow because i've seen them and i bought them there before they are gonna be more present easier to find maybe at a co-op but you can find them at any grocery store i even found one at at target that's great um the only thing is like the price can be kind of daunting because you see you can buy a seven dollar bottle of olive oil or you can buy for six like let's say you get 16 ounces or you can buy a 16 ounce bottle of cold press first press olive oil that is um like 14 mm-hmm. or 15 dollars and at first i was like well that's not worth it for me i use a lot of i you know, do a lot of cooking at home but i don't actually need as much of the nicer olive oil as i would of another oil because it doesn't burn off my stove as quickly like it coats it to me when i'm cooking it coats everything a lot it's higher quality. Yeah. Like when I cook on the stove, I don't need to put in as much because it coats the, the vegetables or whatever I'm cooking. And it'll also have, it'll have a flavor. Too. Yeah. And when you make a sauce, you don't need that much because it actually tastes like olive. It tastes like an olive or kind of an umami, salty flavor. Yep. So I, I would still recommend it, like even if you're a conscious penny pincher, because it's, it's going to last you longer and be able to be used in more things even if it's more expensive 
And that's a really great point is that when you're choosing these oils and you're bringing them home, then it's in your hands to choose how you're going to process them and how right. you're going to use them. So uh, with something like an olive oil where it's that monounsaturated, it only has that one kink in it. You can expose that to some heat and be okay. You could do a light saute. You could toss some vegetables on a baking tray and roast them in olive oil. That's okay. That's not going to completely render it rancid. It's going to be able to tolerate some amount of heat. But you really have to choose, okay, if I'm buying a sesame oil, I can't I can't stir fry in that. I can't right. fry something in it. Because you can make a sauce to put on afterwards. And yes. That could be really nice. You can use it to flavor. You could use it in a salad. You could use it to drizzle. Do all of that. And you'll, you'll really taste it, too, because you're not, you won't be making it oxidized. Right. Which is really cool for both your palate. Your palate is smart. Your palate is telling you something. When you can taste food and it tastes good, more times than not, it's telling you that this is something appropriate for you to you eat. You did it right. You did it right. Good job. So what, what makes me like feel so frustrated about all of this is that if you are somebody who can't afford to go to the nicest restaurants, like you can't just go to St. Dinette on the weekend where they're, they're using all whole delicious beautiful fats and like if you're eating at fast food restaurants or you're even just eating at uh like the olive garden or other places and then you're at home and you're buying for a full family like the oils that make the most financial sense are the ones that are the most potentially damaging to your system it's completely frustrating and i think it's such a public health issue that no one really talks about And we're talking so far about foods that either restaurants or oils that restaurants are using to cook or that we're bringing home to cook in. But if you look at, like I was saying, with the mayo or pretty much any packaged food, look at those labels and you tell me what fat or oil is used in it. Yeah. It's going to be really processed, really cheap oils. Yeah. And that makes sense from a business standpoint. But from a health standpoint, it's pretty sad. Yeah, you know what I just thought of is, like, if you go outside of, like, there's there's a restaurant that's, a, like, sort of a fast food Chinese restaurant that was near my old apartment, and every time we walked by their oil dumpster, like, they're, if you go by a restaurant, you'll see there's, like, a big black bin that is just for their excess oil. Um, it smells terrible. Yeah. Like, it smells like rotten fish, and... I'm just putting two and two together that that is not a good thing. <laughs> like, that's because they've used and abused that oil to the point now where it if it wasn't already rancid, it certainly is after the fact. Exactly. Because especially in, like, a, a restaurant where they're frying a lot or that's... Yeah. Yes, you can find restaurants like there's Anchor Fish and Chips where they fry in tallow, and they're they're really showing that that is something that you can do, but that's more expensive, and they're yeah, making they're making yeah. that a selling point. But if you have a restaurant where it's they're trying to give people food that is cheaper, like which, Long John Silver's, yeah, which is also fish and chips is not going <laughs> to be that way. No, and they're going to reuse that oil, so they're going to keep on frying it. They're I mean, it depends on the restaurant, and maybe we could have our health inspector chime in, but they're probably not replacing that frying oil every day. Right. So they're probably... Or fr- e- they're certainly not replacing it every cook. Right. So they're f- keeping this oil at a high temperature for hours, and then maybe they let it cool off, and mm. then the next day they reheat it back up. So it's a big it's a big to-do. There's a lot that could change that would help with the health 
of Americans because do we talk about this in day to day? No. You and I had to get pretty far down the health and wellness and fitness bubble yeah in order to start to dive into this yeah i feel like people just say oh don't eat fries because they're so fatty yeah but that's the that's not right it's like that's no, what, eat eat things that are fatty that is good for you don't eat fries from a restaurant that fries them in canola oil because they're rancid because let's talk about quality versus only quantity right they go hand in hand yeah right just having fat is not going to be bad for you it's having rancid fat that has then been used to cook at high temperatures and been reused multiple times and then is literally squeezing out of the food that you're eating into your body and you know inflaming your your body right because and I'll, I'll talk about why it's inflammatory in our bodies in an upcoming episode but your body is going to use what you put in it so right. your body's going to try really hard really really hard to try to use those rancid oils and Poor body. I know it's trucking along it's doing its best right so let's give it the stuff that really burns efficiently. Yeah. It's like putting in like a really, really crummy oil into your car. Right. Yeah. You don't want that. You. No. You want to put in high quality. No. You don't want the oil you have to change every month because it's so crappy. Yeah. You want the kind that you get and you only have to change it once a year. Because you can't really change the oil in your body. No. Nope. It's more of a slow roll. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I got on fats. Okay. So let's talk about fascia. Um, before we do... Let me just hear from you, Lucia. You're not like the average person because you know a lot about bodies, but when I say the word fascia, what do you think of? I think of like, I almost, in my mind, I think of like a really thin like cheesecloth that wraps our muscles. That like is, it's not inside our muscles, it's on top of our muscles between like our muscle and our skin. And I feel like it kind of helps keep our muscles where they need to be. Okay. What else? What? 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 Uh, if I told you uh, that fascia was important to keep healthy, what would you think that was important for? I would think you'd want to keep your fascia healthy so that you could move properly through space. Okay. Great. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> You're not that far off. Um, you are actually on the nose, but you're missing some of the pieces. So fascia is a connective tissue, like you said, and I think the cheesecloth imagery is a good imagery to use for your super superficial fascia, which is this the fascia that's underneath your skin, covering your muscles. But there are other types of fascia. I did not know. In fact, <laughs> fascia, you could think of it as the thing that touches every part of your body. Oh. So okay. not only is it inside your muscles, it's also between muscles between muscle and bone it wraps your organs it connects uh other tissues together it's right under your skin it's around your brain so why do we never talk about it well honestly like for a long time science didn't really study it because for a long time when people would open a cadaver and they would be working on anatomy or understanding anatomy understanding um how tissue works they saw it as, like, something you had to just take off the top. Like, when you were making chicken. Yep. And you rip off the fascia of the chicken, you discard it, right? Well, and you're taking it's, – it's that part when you're making the chicken where if you were to cook that up, it, you'd be kind of chewing through it and trying to break through it with your teeth. Yeah. So you cut it off before cooking. Well, and some of that is tendon, and it's very similar. So it's collagen. It's all right. collagen. Right. 
But like if you take a chicken breast and you scrape that first layer off and you pull it back, that's the same thing as what scientists were doing, which is going into the body, scraping back the fascia so that they could better have this like perfect looking muscle to identify exactly how that muscle is working with other muscles. They would remove it. They even like in when they would make um, bodies for presentation would do that, would scrape out the fascia so that it looked more red and and beautiful and connected and perfect they would Mm -hmm. just take off the webbing gotcha Uh, but your fascia like if you took out all the fascia of your body and you just kind of like held it up in front of you you would see the shape of your body Mm. it connects everything you would see like where your organs hang out in your body because that's what fascia is connecting so it's like it's like cradling all of your organs Mm. It's slung around everything. It's around your ribs. It's around your spinal cord. It's uh, in between all of your muscles. It runs like um, striations along your muscles and inside. So it connects everything. It's really important to understand, but it's also very misunderstood because for a long time it was just ignored. Hmm. And only within the last you know few decades have we started to really research it. And only within the last like... 10 years would I say that it's become something that people are specializing in Wow! or uh, especially using for things like regaining mobility or integrity of the body like now you can be called a fashiologist oh yes I've seen the terms yeah I think that's what if you're into the fascia blaster then you're (laughs) following that woman yeah who is like a fashiology Ashley Black guru exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) I wonder if she legally changed her last name to Guru. I think she did. I hope she did. Yeah. Uh, either way, yes. Yeah, so she calls herself that, which is is not really a, like a medical term, no. per se. But it's it just demonstrates how important fascia has become recently, and how interested people have become in the integrity of your fascia, just you know within the last couple of decades. So there's still a lot that people don't really know about it, um, and. From everything that like I've read about fascia before, I think there's some conflicting understanding of how to keep it healthy mm-hmm. or what you can actually do to manipulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like when you think about stretching, or yeah, when people are talking about being more mobile, what they're talking about is fascia. Yeah, with whether or not they understand that. No, they're talking about. Um, increasing the flexibility of their fascia. I don't think I understood that until a year or two ago because um, I am extremely, I have extremely tight, you know me, my back is really, really tight, but yeah. that's really being informed by the, my lower half and really tight kind of backs of my legs and hamstrings and calves. So when I was told, yeah, just stretch those out, just hang out in a right. stretch, I was like, okay, I got to stretch my muscles out because my muscles are tight. No, they're no, not. No, not at all. Yeah, your muscles are pliable. They are, I mean, the muscle tissue is, is a tissue that wants to slide. It wants to um, function well, but the fascia uh, helps determine whether or not that's possible. Exactly. So, like, when you're talking about stretching, what you're really thinking about is your fascia sliding over this like mucous membrane that sits on top of your muscles. So you're like unsticking it. Or um. you're just like causing it to slide. Okay. So then when you get to a point where you can't go any further, that's that's your sticking point. Sure. Right? That's where there's no longer any sort of like movement available in your fascia. There's no sliding anymore across your 
that's, mucous membrane. That's when you're trying to touch your toes and you're like five inches away or two. Yeah. You're, and you can't like bend. You'd have to like bend your knees or something to right. actually get to touch your toes. Yeah. It's because you your fascia. Some of it. Yeah. Right, right. So there are a few types of fascia. There's a superficial fascia, which is more like what we think about. It's the stuff that sits underneath your skin on top of your muscle. Um, and then there's deep fascia, which which is the kind that wraps around your, um, like wraps around all of your muscle tissue. Like if you think about like a pomegranate, if mm-hmm. you open it up, you can imagine all those little pomegranate seeds are your muscle and the shell is your, your fascia. It's right. connecting all of it together and going deep. That's, that's your deep fascia. And then there's visceral fascia, which is the kind that like hangs out around your organs, mm. sits on top of your brain, wraps it in inside your brain is cradling your livers, holding onto your bladder, um, wrapping around all of your connective areas. And I feel like people don't think about their fascia or don't care about their fascia until it comes to uh, like when fascia is having issues. So when it like has too much stiffness or when it loses all of its ability to be stiff. So when someone is just like flopping around, has no control. Sure. Um, when there's trauma and it's causing something like a scar tissue buildup mm. where your fascia is bundling and hardening and stiffening in places. Uh, those are when people start to actually care or wonder about fascia and when they start to say like can you you know can you help me get rid of this blockage I have sure yeah so there's a few reasons that we want to care about fascia and there's a few reasons that or a few ways we can think about actually encouraging our fascia to be healthy and strong the the reason that we care is because a lot of people will try to be um, a lot of us are interested in being athletic right mm-hmm. in order to be athletic you have to have really strong a strong sense of what your fascia is doing mm. you have to have very healthy fluid mobile fascia with lots of integrity lots of resilience and an ability to rebound quickly you also want your fascia to be healthy because if you have healthy fascia your muscles will work better mm. they'll have a better spring effect you won't, your muscles won't be actively working against the fascia. They'll be working with the fascia. Uh, so it's important. It's also just important in general to prevent the feelings of old age. Mm. Joint stiffness, aching, just general muscle stiffness, inability to move, inability to move your head. Yeah. Like, lack of flexibility. Yeah. Lack of flexibility and just overall like ache and lack of control. Mm-hmm. That comes from unhealthy fascia. Right. So it's important to think about for everyone. Definitely. Lots of different reasons. Um, so here's what I would say. Here are the things to think about if you're if you're trying to improve your fascia or even if you're just wondering what it what it means to look at healthy fascia. The first thing is hydration. Definitely. Yeah. I was gonna say that too. Yeah. And even more so than fluid hydration. Like mm-hmm. Your fascia is a fluid system, meaning it's like a buoyant, water-filled system. It doesn't function without water. So when you're stiffening up after death, right, mm-hmm. when a corpse is stiffening, uh, as fluid leaves the system, uh, it's going to cause a lot of stiffening in your joints, but also in your fascia. Right. When your fascia is brittle and fluidless, it's, Im- it's immobile. That sounds awful. Yeah, it sounds awful. 
so drinking water is going to be a key key element to keeping your fascia fluid which is why well let me get into this further the second part to hydration is actually breaking up the quote-unquote sticking points if you think of your fascia like a cheesecloth um then it seems like it can be really easily stretched in different ways but can also think of it like a hose in some ways if Mm. you get a kink in the system it's not going to be possible for fluid to move through sure so there can be points where the fascia is too stiff and connected to uh like in a in a knot and fluid can't enter that system so in order for you to get fluid to enter the system you have to unkink that part Mm -hmm. of the hose so uh one way to do that is through massage Mm -hmm. like when you have a knot in your back someone putting pressure on that knot is going to release some of that tension and allow more fluid to go into that area that's why massage therapists always say drink plenty of water sure not only are they wanting to encourage you to move toxins through your system in whatever way that means, but they want you to rehydrate areas that have been locked up before. And I want to I wanna chime in here, too, for people who maybe aren't drinking enough water. A good goal amount is to take your body weight in pounds, divide that number in half, and then that number in ounces is how much water, kind of at a minimum, you should be trying to drink. Yeah, so hydration is going to be a huge huge part of it if your fascia is not properly hydrated and you're not working out some of those kinks in the system to rehydrate it you're not going to see very much success in your body sure so that's why things like body work are really important and um like that's why that's why sam does things like cupping and scraping and he also does soft tissue work with his hands and even chiropractics like actually physically manipulating the system all of those things are going to help lubricate your fascia because they're going to allow for hydration in areas that have not received it recently. Yeah, and it makes sense for someone like a chiropractor who might be doing those harder adjustments where you're really trying to bring something back into alignment. But if your fascia is still used to the old alignment, it'll bring you right back. That's exactly right. So, And then that leads us right into the next point, which is that fascia, your, your fascia's ability to move and function properly and have good position and alignment Uh, meaning like having flexibility through all points depends on variation in your movement which is why when we sit for a long period of time we get bundles of tightness in the front of our body Mm. where we've been sitting in a point where fascia cannot move Uh, it's also why people who do things like like if you're just an olympic lifter you're going to see repetitive stress injuries on your body it's because you're overusing the same points and your fascia is not getting an opportunity to move in different ways. Mm. So, uh, and that is why people like to do things like CrossFit, something or or something like um, MoveNet or uh, Kofi Core, something where you're doing lots of different body movement variations that reflect natural movement patterns, because your fascia will be exposed to lots of different types of patterns, mm. and it won't dehydrate in the same places so it's not only about being strong it's about being strong and supple exactly yeah when you are creating problems in your body that seem like they're not pointed like it's not a ligament tear it's not a tendon tear it's just a dull kind of aching around my shoulder well you might want to move your fascia there in different ways you might need some body work you might need some massage you might need some rehydration Mm. yeah uh, you might need to do some mobility there so you can move that that area in a new way. Right, right. And uh, so you can open up those kinks in the system. Sure. 
you want to open up the kinks and you want to, I mean, if we're going with the hose analogy, you want to make sure that the water is on so right. the water can flow through. Right. Because what good is it going to do if you just open up a kink and your hose is off? Right. Come exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. You can't think about fascia like it's just one area. It's all an interconnected piece. If you stretch an entire cheesecloth around your body, pulling at one end of it right. is going to affect the rest of it no matter what. So if you're having lots of tension built up, lots of kinks in the system in one area of your body, like if you really have a ton of scar tissue going through your shoulders from a traumatic injury or just from um, you know, long-term overuse or a surgery, for example, mm. then the tension that's built up at that point is going to affect other things. You're going to have low back pain. You're going to have neck pain. You're going to have um, hip pain or glute deactivation. Like You're going to see things happen at all points of your body if you don't take care of the whole system. It's all about that kink. Yes, it is. Just like the fats. Yeah. One of the common phrases people use is like, if you imagine that your body is wearing a sweater and you, and you cut one knit, you pull that string, the whole sweater will eventually unravel. Right. That's the, just the idea there is that, I mean, that's not going to happen to your body. You're not going to cut a kink and then cause your whole body fascia to unravel. But what will happen is if you don't take care of one piece that is constantly inflamed or um, very brittle, then the rest of your fascia will, have, will be affected by that. So that's sort of like the traveling pain point in your body. That's kind of where that idea comes from. Sure. Um, the last thing to think about is that fascia is the largest sensory organ in the body. Wow. So your skin is your largest organ. Your fascia is your largest sensory organ, meaning that it takes up, it has the most coverage of any sensory organ in your system. It's extremely important, even though we haven't thought of it as important for a long time. Um, if you, the function and health of your fascia determines the function and health of your body, the resiliency of your body to bounce back from something like trauma, the ability of your muscles to work, the, the ability of your muscles to prevent fatigue. Um, it's the ability of your body to be in a proper alignment like your spinal fascia, for example, the ability for you to feel flexible and mobile and um, like you can bounce back from pain, that's all going to rely on your health of your fascia. It's so important. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah. It's really important. And there are some ways you can take care of it better. Okay. If you, because it can be overwhelming. That's kind of overwhelming what I just said, right? Like I think it's overwhelming. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, if you don't fix that, your whole body's going to unravel. That's not the point but there is a way that there are ways that you can manage it i feel that way right now with the fascia blaster i'm like yeah. i gotta blast all my body right but like sam said just start one place right work on that one place right and then work your way around the body later um one stay hydrated drink lots of water we say that a lot but you have to do it <laughs> Two, get body work done as regularly as possible obviously it's not always affordable to get a massage right but even if you have a knot and you can work on it yourself, have a friend work on it, you can use a lacrosse ball. Very cheap, $1.25 at the store. You can use a, a foam roller. You could use the fascia blaster. You could use the stick. Basically, you could use a, uh, an apple if you wanted. You could use any hard object that will allow you to put pressure on your fascia and then slowly melt into that pressure mm -hmm. and provide some flexibility into that point. 
where it's kinked up, it's going to help. That's, that is soft tissue work. That is body work. Obviously, if you can pay someone who really knows what they're doing and, and can allow you to fully relax while they do it, that's going to be extra juicy and delicious. But if you can't afford it, then just do it yourself. You know, you can totally be a DIY, take care of your body person. You don't have to pay other people to do it. If you can pay them to do it, it can be even better. Stretch and hang out in positions that are uncomfortable because they're uncomfortable for a reason, Mm. right? You have bound up tissue in that area that needs to be released. Don't just hang out in your favorite stretch. Hang out in your least favorite stretch and give it time to be fluid and open and slowly relax because it's not a fast process. Um, Hydrate. Have someone else take care of you if you can. Do your own body work. Vary your movement. Try different exercises when you're working out or when you're just moving around. And uh, be nice to yourself. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that last one is important. Yeah, your fascia needs rest as well. Overworking the same areas will cause more dehydration to the system. So you might need to rest certain areas of your body if they're feeling dehydrated. Or just rest your whole body. So the point is that fascia is misunderstood. Yes. Fats, misunderstood. Very misunderstood. There's a lot of information that is wrong information. Yes. And I think what I'm noticing is that it's not even that people have completely wrong information. It's that they only have one piece of the puzzle. Right? Yeah. Like, people think of fascia as... But when they when I ask about fascia, they think of it like, um, oh, well, it's kind of like my ligaments and tendons. Like, it can break. But it's more than that. Mm. And when they think about fats, they think like, oh, well, it's just like don't take in bad ones or just don't take in that much. Like I shouldn't eat french fries. Yeah, but it's more than that. Yes. More than that. Yes. So do you have a challenge for me? I do have a challenge for you. My challenge for you is this. I want you to find a point in your body that feels quote unquote sticky. And what I want you to do is um, like purposely sit down with that area of your body I want you to drink a full cup of water and then melt that point. So you can use your fascia blaster, you could use your thumb, you could use a lacrosse ball, you could have someone help you, but I just want you to apply a slow pressure building over time. So like on that knotted point, around that point where you tend to be tense, I want you to start by adding like a pressure that you call one Mm -hmm. and work your way up to a pressure that you would call 10 while having your pain go in the opposite direction. Mm. So if it starts at a 10, you want to work on that point until it's a 1 before you add any new pressure. Okay. Right? Right. So you want it to feel like butter underneath your hands. Sure. If you're pushing too hard into it too fast, you're just going to cause it to stay tight. So I want you to melt okay. the point. Either melt over a ball, melt onto your hand, whatever it is. Usually fascia blaster just slowly melt. And then follow it up with a glass of water. Gotcha. Then just revisit that spot the next day. Like, and physically see if it feels any different to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Can do. Challenge. Can okay. do. You ready for your challenge? Yeah. Okay. This week is going to be a multi-day thing. Okay. I want you, you've got your cooking oils locked and loaded. Yeah. You know what's up. You know what's coming in. I want you this week to look at the foods that you're buying that might be a little bit packaged. Maybe it's bread, whatever. Maybe you eat out at a restaurant. I want you to investigate those fats and oils. Ooh. I want I'm you going on a date tonight with my husband. I I want you to write it down. Okay, I'm going to ask them. I'm yeah. just going to say at the restaurant that we go to, 
you know, what kind of oils do you use? Yeah. And see what they say. I think it'll be really interesting. Yeah. So write down every time what it what's the oil and let's see. Heck. Okay. I can do that. Okay. Uh, thank you all for joining us. This has been Pats and Basha. It's been a, a juicy, fatty, <laughs> rancid episode. Yeah. Filled with interconnectedness, spider webs, and cheesecloth. And kinks. Kinks in the system. Mm. We appreciate you joining us. If you have a question for us, you should tweet us, at Solconacast. Send us a tweet. We're, we're new to it. Twitter is a thing, and we're doing it. We might live in the dark ages, the two of us. Hey, 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 hey. Have you seen my Twitter? You I do get, have a good Twitter. I got, I got the tweets. You but do have a good Twitter. I so don't kinda, have Twitter very well. So we're going to initiate Hannah into the tweets. Yes. So you need to tweet us, at Soconicast, because I need some some questions from you. Also, you can send us articles that you're interested in, things that you're wondering about, just memes. I love memes. And update us on your challenges How's and how those going? are going. Love it. And uh, you... Yeah, you're the best. So just send us you. You know who else is the best? What? Taj Ruler. Oh, my God. Producer <laughs> Taj Ruler. She is like, if you made a wish on a star, the dust, the like glimmery dust that comes off of a star is Taj Ruler. That is. Agreed. 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 So thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, find us on iTunes. F- find us online. Tweet at us. And just generally take care of yourselves, yeah. my friends. You should definitely tune in next week because we have a very special guest, Wendy Hurd. She is one of the premier physical therapists in the city, in Twin Cities. She works for the Mayo Clinic and like knows everything there is to know about the shoulder. That might be setting her up, but I think it's a good setup. I think it's true. I think she can handle it. She's the best. So please tune in next week for that interview because Wendy is the bomb.com. Have a wonderful week. Sulkanacast is produced by Taj Ruler. Subscribe on iTunes or visit sulkanacast.libsim.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com for full episode information. You can also visit our website at sulkanafitness.com to stay up to date on everything health and fitness. Join in on the conversation over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sulkana CrossFit. See you there.